Talking Books with Susan Cahill. This is News Talk. It's a, it's a funny thing because when you see the history that we know, most of the history that we know is created by novelists. And I'm thinking about uh, War and Peace of Tolstoy. We know the Napoleon Wars thanks to War and Peace. And War and Peace is not a, an accurate history, it's, it's a fiction history. And we know the history of the French Revolution or the Commune thanks to Les Miserables of uh, Victor Hugo. And it's not an accurate uh, history, it's a, it's a fiction too. And it's, 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 uh, it's an ex strange because one will think that the history will be told by historic historians and, and journalists, but not. Mm. The history we know is told by novelists. Yeah. And I think uh, it's because the, the, the literature uh, permits to understand some things that the, the history by itself doesn't tell. And it's the, the heart of the people who lived the history, and it's the heart of the movement that starts, right? Um, again, how the people feel in that moment, why it occurs. It, it's, it's not uh, a, a plain history, it's a, it's, a, it's a deep history. And I think literature is more uh, suited to tell that history. Do we live in a populist age? And how are writers from South America addressing issues of political violence, radicalisation and collective memory? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to explore those questions with two talented writers who took part at this year's Isla Festival at the Instituto Cervantes in Dublin. One a Peruvian, the other a Chilean. Novelists of tremendous courage, insight and wisdom. Raúl Tola talks his latest novel, La Noches en Ventanas. And Arturo Fontan Talavera discusses Chile and the politics of memory. First up, it's Peruvian writer, journalist and cultural commentator Raúl Tola. Uh, my name is Raúl Tola. I'm a Peruvian journalist and a novelist. I work like for uh, 25 years in, in being a journalist. I work in Peru at TV and uh, in radio. I work in uh, some magazines. I present the most important TV shows uh, for journalists in Peru, the most important um, investigation show in Peru, which, which name is uh, Cuarto Poder, Fourth Power. Um, I went to Madrid five years ago. I live in Madrid now. Uh, and I write five novels. The last of, of the, these novels is uh, La Noche Sin Ventanas. Uh, in a fast translation, is No uh, Windows Night. It's a historic novel, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. Welcome to Dublin, Raul, and to the Isla Festival. It's lovely meeting you. Um, we might start with a big wide open question. Do you think we learn anything from our history when we look back at it? I'm not sure, <laughs> because uh, what I find now, uh, looking at uh, Europe, is that the problems that happened 40 years ago and now are um, start to uh, happen again. It's like um, we never learn about our history. We never learn about the, the presence of nationalisms and the far right and... Uh, um, what, what happened now, what happens now in, in Europe, which is jumping into South America with Bolsonaro, 
it's, it's really a complicated situation because uh, why it's happening now, right? Mm. Uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, examples of this kind of governments and this kind of decisions and this kind of people. Um, and it's like the, the human being never learned for, from, from its past. And the human being is, is, uh, want to uh, repeat his errors again and again and again. And, and I think Bolsonaro, Le Pen, and all their far-right uh, politicians that now are in, in, in good shape in Europe and, and Latin America are the, the, the same. There seems to be a, there seems to have been a lot of popular protests taking place all across Peru at the moment, and I know your judiciary are under pressure. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, we find uh, in a judiciary investigation that uh, the, the the judiciary in, in El Cayo, which is the most important port of, of Peru, is in Lima, uh, was taken by the, by, a, by a big mafia, a big mafia of uh, of uh, judges and politicians and. Uh, and it broke out uh, in a, a journalist investigation, and now we realize the connections with the, with the, the judiciary mafia and and the more important uh, political party in Peru, which is uh, Fuerza Popular, uh, is the party of the Alberto Fujimori's uh, daughter, Keiko Fujimori. Alberto Fujimori was uh, a, a really important politician in Peru, was the president in the 90s. And uh, he was uh, uh, detained in jail for corruption and uh, human rights violations. And his uh, daughter, Keiko Fujimori, rebuilt the party of, of, of the Fujimoris. And now she, uh, she was uh, connected with this uh, judiciary mafia and with other um, cases of corruption, and she went to to prison, to preventive prison, seven days. She she left the prison yesterday, and we are now in uh, a really complex moment in Peru because of the corruption, because we have a government, and we have the the, the we have a presidential system in Peru because we are not like uh, the Europe countries, and the president can be from one party and the majority of the Congress can be from another party. So it's, it's really complex because there's some, some kind of political war now in Peru. Uh, hopefully the government is winning that, that war. And the Congress, which is related to that corruption uh, of the Fujimoris, is losing that battle. And, and now we have to see what's going on. It's like uh, every day is really full of news and complexity in Peru now. Would it be fair to say public trust in the institutions, government institutions that is in Peru, has absolutely eroded? I think uh, we in Peru um, need to build our public institutions. We, we don't have really strong public institutions. We don't have, uh, we don't trust our government. And, and I think we have a lot of reasons to, to don't trust in our, our government. We we came from a long tradition of corruption in Peru, not only but F F Fujimori, but all a lot of governments which uh, virtually erupted the public uh, uh, treasure. And and I think um, this crisis, we have a big crisis at, at the early 90s, beginning of the 2000 year, um, which was a, which all we think was a turning point, and and it. 
it, it becomes to do the same. The corruption uh, rise again. And, and I think that crisis and these crises are, of course, it, it, it shows the worst of a country, but, but also it's, it's a good moment because yeah. this is, I think, is now an, a new turning point. And, 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 and the crisis came with opportunities yeah. too. And we have now a big opportunity yeah. in Peru to, to change the, the, the public trust and to change the government and, and to um, heal the, the, the country, right? Can we talk about Las Noches in Ventanas? Um, it's set in World War II, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's set in World War II. Um, it tells the story of two Peruvians which were in the World War II. Uh, one of them was the Peruvian uh, ambassador in Paris uh, when the occupation of French be in France began by the Nazis. You know, the north part of, of France became Germany and the south part was the liberated part and uh, it, we have in, in Vichy the capital and all the embassies go to Vichy so this uh, this ambassador which name was Francisco go to Vichy um, uh, when the world take part in, in America when Pearl Harbor uh, occurs uh, a diplomatic uh, mechanism which was uh, thinking in America to not uh, go into the war activates. So all the uh, American countries uh, break their uh, diplomatic relations with uh, the ex, the ex and, and, and some countries uh, like Mexico and Brazil declared the war to Germany, to Italy, to Japan. Uh, and other countries break only break uh, diplomatic relationships with the uh, with and, and Peru was the one of the countries who breaks their dip diplomatic relations, and all the American, the, the South American, the Latin American diplomatics who were in Vichy were took to a, like prisoners to a little uh, hotel in in Bad Godesberg, which is in Germany. Uh, the name is the the, the Dresden Hotel. And my uh, character, which name is Francisco, was uh, was uh, he get mad at the, at that uh, hotel because he he when he was young he defends far right uh, ideas and then I think by the contradiction of his situation and the ideas he defend he he went he went crazy he went he get a, a really big depression and then he. He get uh, he get crazy and he end his days at the, um, how you call it the crazy house in, okay. in, in 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 Peru in Lima. So what was the big question that you were asking yourself, or what were you putting at the reader to do? Presumably, it was in the area of I suppose political conscience and judgment in terms of the decisions we make and for what reasons and how we validate it, whether it's positive or otherwise. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the relations between the history and the personal history, right? The the big history, the history of the world. And, um, and, and and what happened with the people who make history and who suffers about history, right? It's a, it's a, it's a relationship between those concepts. And also, yeah, why, why we go to where we are going, right? Why, why we make the decisions that changes our lives. Uh, of course, um, we are uh, submitted to history, but, but also I want to do... I wanted to understand the existence of the far right in oh. Peru too, because uh, as I told you, one of the characters defend the far right in Peru. Uh, he, he was a, a fascist in, in Peru, and you, you know, Peru is a is a 
is a country of indigents, no? And how is possible that a country like Peru, a poor country, has have fascists? Mm -hmm. And you have the, the most important fascist mo movement in, in Latin America, uh, which name was the UR, the Union Revolucionaria, the Revolutionary Unity. And why? Why is happening this in my country? Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, you know, and, and I wanted to... You know, not answer the question because I think the the a novel only brings more questions, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, but in the in the work of making questions, you came with some some answers. In some way, were you in direct conversation with today when we look at all the populist regimes uh, and what's been happening, or was that on your mind as you were writing it? Yeah, sure. Uh, especially in Peru, right? Because Peru. Peru, we have a, a strong right um, uh, movement, and 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 I think we are not that in the far right uh, moment yet, but we are in danger of the far right moment, especially now that, that we have, you know, our biggest border is, is Brazil, yeah. and we have Bolsonaro, which I think if a miracle a miracle um, doesn't happen, is going to be the Brazilian president, but but yes, I, I was thinking in. Why uh, a right movement which don't believe in democracy and don't believe in, in human rights can exist in, in my country? And, and of course, I find the origins of this movement in, in the uh, beginning of the 20th century, in, in the thinking of these characters and his group of friends, which was a, a really important movement of intellectual, young intellectuals in Peru. Uh, the name is the 19th generation, and uh, yeah, I was thinking all the time in the present of my country and the world. Peru is under major pressure at its borders at the moment, and I know borders are a very uh, uh, a word now that have become very troublesome for a lot of political administrations. But Peru has taken in a significant amount of uh, Venezuelan refugees, and also Brazil and Colombia. How well are things going? Because you've had thousands on your border. Yeah. I know you've changed some of your border control policies in the last while. But um, it seems that um, in recent months there literally have been thousands week by week. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a big problem to Peru because Peru is not a rich country. Um, it's richer than the past, but it's not a rich country. It's still a third world country. And, uh, but what worries me the most is the reaction of some Peruvians uh, of the, because of the Venezuela, Venezuelan immigration, because... Uh, the, the, this is uh, a, a primary reaction of hatefulness and, and, and resentment and, and mistrust in the new people who came to Peru. And there's a, a, a movement of people that says that they are coming to Peru to steal our riches and steal our jobs. And, and I think we are talking about the far right, and I think mm -hmm. that's the, the the origin of that yeah. kind of of, of thinking of of politics. And and also when when this happened, I I I, I can't uh, stop to say that that's not true. Mm. I think the rich the riches one of the riches of my country is that is 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 made by a lot of immigrants. You have in Peru Italian immigrants, of course, of course, Spanish immigrants, but also you have uh, German immigrants, Japanese immigrants. Fuji yeah, Fujimori, yeah, yeah. Fujimori yeah, was Japanese, Japanese yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, a Japanese descendant, and and I think it makes a, a country stronger, not weaker, right? And and I think 
we have to learn from Venezuelans what they have and learn. And, and they are not in Peru because they want to be in Peru. Yeah. They, they are in Peru because they have n nothing else to do. If, you want, if, if they want to survive, if they, if they want to have medicines and food, because Venezuela is in a really bad situation mm. now. So we have to be, I think, we have to, to receive the, 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 the Venezuelans. Uh, Venezuela was uh, uh, a destiny for the Peruvians in, in not that long ago, and, and we have also have to return the favor, right? And, um, and I think uh, this is one of these moments that defines the, the, the soul of a country, right? And I think we have to be generous, and I think we have to be uh, comprehensive too. Well, I'm just wondering, you've published five novels and yeah. they've done pretty well, but you've also presented very high profile TV programs, which gives you access to a huge range of different personality types, leaders in society, very privileged position in society. I'm sure you've witnessed lots of interesting scenarios <laughs> through the years, but I'm just wondering, um, how do you kind of step away from that kind of critical fact based analysis and then you're using your imagination and going into the fiction now obviously you've based some of your novels as, as historical fiction but there are very different uh, jumps aren't they yes because there's a a, a fine line that uh, divides fiction and reality right you, you have to understand every time you have to understand that when you're writing a novel it's fiction mm -hmm. and when you're doing journalist it's reality you, you you can't mix them right although you could argue there's something very unreal about the times we're living in yes realistic right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, i think uh, um, journalists and, and 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 fiction can be related to because uh, you have the the new journalist in the, the, this um, this strong movement of journalists in states, and you have uh, journalists like like Gaitalese, mm -hmm. those 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 great journalists, and they use the fiction techniques to present a more complex reality. They uh, they don't ask the traditional journalistic questions to develop a history. They ask. The questions that uh, uh, a novelist will ask, uh, how do you feel, why is happening, uh, what happened with the people, no? not only the, the, the fact. And also I think literature is, is, is related to, to journalists. At last, in my case, when I uh, start to work on, on this novel, I use a lot of um, journalist techniques to, to investigate the, the subject. I fly a lot, I went to Germany, I went to Paris, I went to France. I uh, do a, a lot of research in Lima and all the historical uh, points that the novel was setting. And I think, of course, it, it makes a novel, I don't, I don't know if it makes a, a better novel, but I think it, ma it makes a more complex novel yeah. and, and a novel that uh, don't break the, the, this kind of dream that, uh, you have to make to the reader, right? Uh, the reader have to have to be in in, in, so, in in one kind of dream, and if you if you are not really persuasive, persuasive, uh, th this dream is going to be interrupted. Yeah. 
do you think it's easier for um, well not necessarily easier as such but you think there are more opportunities for writers to maybe be critical creatively critical at social systems cultural systems or the different types of infrastructure within society rather than than just hardcore news and reporting because you've done both do you think there's more avenues open there for a novelist to poke and pick at things it's it's a it's a it's a funny thing because when you see the history that we know most of the history that we know is created by novelists mm. and i'm thinking about uh, war and peace of Tolstoy. Mm. we know the napoleon wars thanks to war and peace and war and peace is not a, an accurate history it's it's a fiction history and we know the history of the french revolution or the commune thanks to les miserables of uh, victor hugo and it's not an accurate uh, history it's a, it's a fiction too and it's 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 uh, it's an strange because one will think that the history will be told by historic historians and and journalists but not mm. the history we know is told by novelists yeah. and i think uh, it's because the 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 literature uh, permits to understand some things that the the history by itself doesn't tell mm. And it's the, the heart of the people who lived the history, and it's the heart of the movement that starts, right? Um, again, how the people feel in that moment, why it occurs. It, it's, it's not uh, a, a plain history, it's a, it's, a, it's a deep history. And I think literature is more uh, suited to tell that history. Tell me, it must be very frustrating for you, um, trying to get your books out across the world and get them, you know, whether it's translated. Because, you know, coming from Ireland, you go into an Irish bookstore, you may be able to find uh, some um, Spanish writers, French writers, Dutch writers in translation, but only the very big, uh, yeah. best-selling ones. And that not necessarily is, not everyone wants to read a best-selling book or what's perceived as the most popular book. They may want something that maybe isn't as ambitious or isn't as successful, but maybe a more meaningful read. Yeah. So how conscious are you that, because there you are pitching together historical fiction and so on, but you must be somewhere at the back of your mind, it must register that will this be translated or not or do I write to get translated yeah well, it's a, it's a, of course when you start to rewrite the book you want to get to the biggest public you mm -hmm. can because you write the book to get read and to touch the, this um, uh, secret fiber of your readers right and of course for that you need to be translated uh, but um, because what you are doing when you are writing is trying to connect your sensibility with the biggest uh, public sensibility. And yes, my books now are selling in Peru and in Spain. I, I haven't got a, a, a translation yet. I just uh, uh, signed a contract with a, with a publisher and, and hopefully my new books is going to be, are going to be translated. I, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm just uh, presenting a book in, in, on April next year. It's also a historic novel, but it's also a, a, noir, a novel noir. Uh, it's uh, the history of... Um, it occurs in the Inca realm, yeah, and it's um, an assassination in Pachacutec uh, Palace. So it's how do you the, find out the the, the, the killer, <laughs> and um, and I think it can be get to a bigger uh, public than the last uh, novels, and hopefully the last novel can be uh, you know uh, get a, a bigger um, public uh, thanks to the new one. But presumably, as a Peruvian living in Madrid, it presents you with more possibilities by being in Europe. 
Yeah, of course. I follow the example of a lot of uh, Peruvian novelists I, I, I really admire. Uh, I think the, the one uh, which is more famous is Mario Vargas Llosa, right? Uh, Mario Vargas Llosa, of course, I have to say, write uh, a great book about uh, Roger Casement, no? the, the, the Dream of the Celt. And uh, Vargas Llosa is uh, is an example to follow to all yeah. Peruvian writers. Even you like or you don't like his his. His rights, I like it a lot, uh, but because of the the um, uh, the way he his compromise with literature, his his way of life devoting to literature. That that's the big example for for the Peruvian novelist, and also because he gets to be universal and universal writer, no, um, and he tells histories that happens in the pretty little streets of Lima, which all we knew. Uh, to make a great history, Vargas Llosa told us, you never need, you, you don't need to, to tell the history in New York or Dublin or Madrid or the big cities of the world, the, 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 the capitals of the world. You can do it in the little uh, districts of Lima. Yeah. One of the more uncomfortable challenges facing um, uh, Peru at the moment is the issue of women and women's rights. Yeah. There have been lots of government reports into domestic violence, lots of campaigns. Yeah. Um, how do you explain how things aren't changing and how, are, how do you explain how things aren't progressing? Because, you know, Peru, Peru has um, evolved and progressed so much yet this seems to be the issue that just can't turn around. Yes, we have... Uh a long history of uh, violence against the women the women and but but also i think at least taking the conscience of this it's a, a, a turning point we have uh, two years ago a big march the biggest march in peruvian history which was against uh, the violence against the women the women and um and i think it's it's it's, it's just the beginning uh, and i think uh, uh, women in peru are learning the right, you know, uh, uh, learning they don't have to be uh, discriminated or even beaten, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I think this is a, a beginning. Um, I have a lot of, uh, of, uh, of friends that are really into the movement, and I think we have now leaders, uh, feminist leaders, that uh, have a strong voice and have a, a strong a predicament in the in the Peruvian society, but I think it's it's like you're saying uh, the, the, the thing. This is this is a, 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 a not a fast change. Yeah. It, it, it we have to we have to be really uh, strong and persuasive. But uh, but maybe our sons will see the real change, or the sons of our sons will see our, our change. I hope the the, the change begins uh, and. Um, you know, the statistics change in, 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 a, in a short period of time, hopefully.
And that was Peruvian writer, journalist and cultural commentator Raul Chola. We'll be hearing more from the Isla Festival just after the break. Talking Books with Susan Cahill. This is News Talk. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're meeting with a selection of writers, poets and novelists who took part at this year's Isla Festival at the Instituto Cervantes in Dublin. Next up is Chilean novelist, essayist and poet Arturo Fontan Talavera. Okay, I'm Arturo Fontan. I'm a Chilean novelist and poet and I also write essays. I teach at the University of Chile and Universidad Diego Portales. I'm here on island, uh, invited by Isla, the festival. Tell me, um, when a lot of people think of Chile, um, they possibly would think of Pinochet, would be the first thing that would come up. And I suppose it's similar to Ireland, when a lot of people will ask you when you go over, whether you're in Canada, Australia, America, wherever, they'll say um, the IRA or they'll say uh, Mm. the Troubles. Do you find that frustrating? Do you think in some ways it's a very kind of simple way to look at the history of a country? Well, there are more dimensions, of course, to a country than politics, and there are more dimensions to Chilean politics than Pinochet, of course. But there's no doubt that he's a major figure, and he shaped to a great extent what we are uh, and and what we were. Um, And the pain that was inflicted on the country was very deep. The wounds are still there. Uh, So... It's not something one can simply forget. Uh, and I perfectly understand why he is so well known uh, everywhere. I remember going to the Soviet Union, and this was uh, the beginning of Gorbachev. Uh, so the Soviet Union was still powerful and still existed. And everybody was asking me about Pinochet in the Soviet Union. I mean, so, so he, I mean, he, he is a figure. Uh, and he is, uh, I mean, if you look at the culture of Chilean culture, especially the novel, you'll see the the influence of what Pinochet meant. No? Yeah. And today it seems that um, politics is pretty much divided on his memory, is it? I think that depends on the age of the people okay. you're talking to. Uh, people who are over 50, uh, it's a very divisive issue. Mm. Younger people have a very clear attitude of... Uh, the image of, neg- of Pinochet is very, very negative for younger people. Very, very negative, with very few exceptions. But the older generations, there are people who were really afraid that Chile would uh, you know, be transformed in something like Cuba or something like that, or mm-hmm. Venezuela. And for that generation, Pinochet is someone who saved Chile from that mm-hmm. kind of danger. But we're talking of older people. Uh, For younger people and middle-aged people, the image is pretty negative. Some people would say that in um, 
in the very disparate uh, political landscape that we have today that you need a strong man. What would you say to that? Well, we have a few strong men appearing and they're quite dangerous, I think. <laughs> I'm worried about what's happening in Brazil, for example, yeah. with Bolsonaro, uh, what's happening in Hungary. Mm. I mean, we have, a well, not to mention Trump. I mean, we have this... Uh, nationalistic authoritarian trend which is reappearing yeah. and certainly risky now i don't think that in chile is a danger today partly because the image of pinochet is not so far away and people don't want to go back to that but certainly in many places you you find this uh, i don't know this this need uh, of, of a strong man who will be the savior of, of, of a country that is uh, somehow endangered by globalization or whatever in the case of brazil corruption has been the great problem you know uh, corruption was was so widespread and it damaged uh, the prestige of the political elite of the traditional parties and on the socialist parties. It was so much linked to corruption. That that, I think, is the explanation for this kind of uh, extreme right populist, which is Bolsonaro, which is about to become the president of Brazil. Tell me, you set up um, a museum of political memory a couple of years ago where you're getting um, victims of the Pinochet regime and their families to bear witness to what happened, to give their testimony. And you're using lots of different creative devices around that. It seems like a very interesting and very progressive project. Well, at the, at the museum, we have um, a very uh, complete collection of documents uh, about human rights violations during the Pinochet years. Uh, these are not... Um, subjective memories these are facts i mean these are documents which have been proven uh, different testimonies uh, evidence i mean these are not just subjective uh, memories because that is more dangerous but but we have a, a lot of real documents which are kept there so the muse museum is based i mean it's evidence based uh, in that sense it's quite credible now, some people are not happy with the museum because it does not explain the context where all this happened and why. But my view is that what you feel by, by looking at the museum, I mean, is that, well, this is what happens when you don't have democracy. Yeah, mm. yeah. So in that sense, the message of the museum is that. And do you think it's pushed positive change in the country then and made Chileans look at their recent past and some of the not-so-pleasant uh, details, political details, and maybe made um, Chile a more democratic state in, in ways? Or I has it improved institutions, accountability, justice? Like, you know, there has to be some positives in it. Well, I think that the, the main lesson of all this is what I was saying a minute ago. It, it, it's what happens when you don't have democratic institutions, when you don't have rule of law. I mean, uh, what, part of what I try to do in the novel, uh, La Vida Doble and all, is, is precisely to show that people who do these awful things are not uh, monsters. Mm. I mean, they're not robots that came from another world. They're people like us who simply were in an environment where that was feasible and when there is no rule, uh, where there are no rules, where everything is allowed if you belong to a certain organization yeah. and you know that you won't be punished yeah. uh, and you even have incentives to, to do so because the institution is urging you or pressing you to get, for example, information. So you use torture because that is 
a way to do that, presumably yeah. to get that information. And you're not going to be punished um, and you're protected against that. When awful forces are unleashed and people change and, and people become what we then say, well, this is a monster. Yeah. But in fact, the guy is not a monster. He's a guy like any one of us. Uh, we have to humanize not only the victims, but the people who perpetrated all these awful deeds because they, were all, they, they are human beings like us. You mentioned your um, recent novel, uh, La Vida Doble, just a minute ago. That is based, the story is based on a real-life figure from history, a woman who was interrogated and then switched sides. Is that correct? Right, right. There, there were three cases that we know of, um, uh, three women, and we know uh, at least two men, but they haven't written. Now, these women were open about it, so we know the two books, memory, memoirs. Mm. So we know more or less what happened uh, so my my novel is based on these on these real stories now it's a fiction but yeah. it's based on these real stories it's a fiction on historical facts that must have presented you with um a kind of a unusual moral dilemma here because in one way you as a writer have a novelistic imagination and you want to create a um a thrilling narrative but also it's you're dealing with uh, a real life story and um rooted in a very traumatic part of Chilean history. So how did you go about that? Well, it is, it is a moral dilemma, uh, mm. and you don't want to steal the story of someone's lives. You don't own mm. uh, somebody's story. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's a dangerous thing to do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a limit, I think, there, where how much you can get from someone else. Now, we writers, are we eat mm stories all the time and so in a sense we are stealing stories all over all over the world we are listening to stories yeah. and we're transforming these stories all the time but i realize at the same time there is a limit and there is yeah. a point where you cross a line where you say well this is not my story this is her story or this is his story and i cannot tell that story if now on the other hand for example i had the opportunity to talk with one of these three women uh, and to talk long and uh, I promised her to, to never tell which one of the three she was. Uh, and I won't ever tell that. But she wanted to tell me her story. And did the writing of the book, did that challenge um, how you look at the past, the political past in Chile? Like you were possibly in your early 30s when Pinochet came to power. You were working in the country. You were getting on with daily life, participating in an economy as well as a social system. So did it make you look at your own past and maybe revise some of the things? It must have challenged you in a lot of different ways. Well, I was younger when Pinochet, mm -hmm. uh, I was in my 20s, um, early 20s, when Pinochet uh, overtook power. I mean, the coup took place. Um, I'd say that the main experience of uh, realizing all this dark side, which was not evident at the beginning, of course, it's something that was gradually discovered, because people who were not involved in this, we didn't know. Of course, this was not on the press. We didn't know. Gradually, it was started to appear. But when I talked to, for example, to, to this woman who, she was a member of a, a radical organization. She was trained. She knew how to handle a AKA, AKA how yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty well, better than most people in the military. Uh, I mean, she was not a... A lamb. I mean, she was she was a politically conscious, a very intelligent woman, 
And then what she went through, you know. So what what um, emerged from all this was this on the other, on the one hand the the power of um, and the beauty of uh, being able to sacrifice your life for for an ideal. Uh, on the other hand, the risk that this will transform you into something very very different from what these ideals would would suggest. Uh, in other words, the idea of being a hero mm. is uh, very powerful, mm. but the reality of the eventual hero is very prosaic yeah, and, and yeah. very, very often very. There's no beauty in in there, uh, and and then when when you are caught in in violence and you get into real violence is is is. Uh, is awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's 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 ugly. Mm-hmm. It's nasty, and you and you you discover that uh, the reality of the dream was was a nightmare. Can I ask you a philosophical question? Do you think um, that some people are born to be uh, to become either incredibly violent, uh, politically radical, no. or do you think that that is something that is possibly due to it's your environment, what you're exposed to? Um, or whatever that we all are possibly can be that person a perpetrator of terrible violence or whatever it is. I think I think we all have it in us. Uh, now maybe some people because of their past are more inclined or see it with less uh, distance or or less inhibitions mm-hmm. and a more open minded with respect to violence. Yes, maybe, but basically we all have it in ourselves. Uh, and I mean this this is a. I mean, we're talking something which, I mean, there's this line which I quote in the novel: "A, a terrible beauty is born by yeah. Yeats." Yeah. I I think a lot about that line, yeah. because because what I saw is no beauty. Uh, I didn't see beauty in these stories, except except in the imagination. Mm. I mean, except the idea of sacrifice, mm. and there is beauty there. I I, mm. I see that mm. the idea, and that's something that will that's part of being human or yeah. being able to sacrifice your own life yeah. but this kind of political life uh, linked to violence is extremely dangerous in terms of what i was saying it's very easily is transformed yeah. into an awful life where there's no beauty and what was the kind of public reaction to a novel like that and putting those type of themes out there in terms of whether it's political radicalization violence or the corruption of politics in ways to you know and of the ideas of sacrifice and all of that you must have got uh, some people must may not have been happy that you were writing about this type of stuff in a novel well um yes yeah, some people some people tend to think and that's in the novel that, that novels should be more like a poem uh, and a poem i don't know why should should, should not be concerned with power or with violence or with this in fact the Iliad is concerned with power and violence and all these nasty things. I mean so poetry is linked to this from the very beginning. So that that is a kind of image of what literature should do, which I don't agree with. Uh, on the other hand, what I'm talking about in the novel is not strictly speaking partisan politics, is yeah. the human side. I yeah. mean these are human beings which are caught in a specific political situation. But which is valuable is not the specifics of the political situation, Chile in a certain period of its history, but rather what is the human condition under a situation so extreme? You know? 
what are we when all these inhibitions mm. which we are used to vanish mm. because that's mm. what I'm talking about in the novel. Can I ask you about um, kind of some of the, the social divides in Chilean society? When I was over in Chile a couple of years ago, it was one thing I did pick up on that um, there seemed to be, um, certainly in, in, in Santiago itself, a very polarised society in terms of social poverty. And um, I know there was a huge problem with housing at the time and safe housing. It was just after the earthquake and a lot of apartments and, and, and ghetto areas in the city which had been possibly developed very rapidly to facilitate an expanding population, it was mainly the poor who were affected by the earthquake. Has anything changed on that now? Well, I think that overall the, the, the earthquake was tremendous and uh, that was a very critical moment. But I think that that is over. I think that we, we've recovered from that.